much love. Hallelujah. Let the bodies hit the floor. It is episode 16, Daddy's Day of Ravaged Love. Hi, Julie. Hi, Renee. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? I need folks to understand that not only do I not know what book Renee reads before we hop on the pod, I have no idea how she's going to intro the pod. So it's always just such a treat to see where this is going. Um, I'm excited as a woman studies scholar and someone fascinated by gender studies. I'm quite pumped for this week, actually, because anything I'm fascinated by masculinity and masculinities, if you want to be official about it. So I, uh, I was really excited trying to find a book for this week and I'm super stoked to hear about what your book is. So that is keeping me afloat because it was a very busy week. And I'm feeling very, like, I'm really teetering over the edge of burnout. And so this book yeah. and this week was a real treat. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah. You know, as somebody um, who's fascinated by masculinity because I'm so victimized by it, um, it was nice to read something so, like, positive and lovely this week. Like, I'm not going to lie. I cried and laughed a lot reading my book, and I can't wait to get into it. Um, but before we do, I have some news. Oh my gosh. Tell us. Okay. So you, everybody knows I handle our Instagram, even though very often people will be like, I knew Julie wrote this when it was me. Um, <laughs> it's fine. We are the it's same fine. person. Let's be clear. So we are. Um, but somebody wrote me after our, uh, dinosaur episode where we talked about periods. Um, and namely men. Episode. Yeah, mainly. I don't, don't understand was, them. No, it was Easter because we were talking about Easter, eggs. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. So, so this person wrote me on Instagram after they listened to the dinosaur one and was like, hey, I have a period story. So here, here's what they said. I asked them if I could share this and they said, okay. So they said, I have to tell you the most ridiculous belief an ex of mine had about people who have periods. He literally thought we can control the flow of our periods, turn them on and off at our own will. And he'd get very mad when a woman would say no to sex with him because she was on her period because he thought she just wasn't turning off the flow and being an asshole about it. <laughs> like and it's if that just fucking... isn't like that's oh. masculinity right there. That's right there. Oh, my God. Imagine. Imagine. Oh, my God. I love that. <laughs> So, yeah, absolutely. Like that one, you can have control over this. You just choose not to. Um, I mean, what a fucking toxic masculinity trope, like truly. But also Mm -hmm. that like, if we could, who would choose full flow? Like who would just be like, fucking pin it to the fucking floor. Let's go. Oh my gosh. (laughs) You know, and listeners may not, but I went to painstaking lengths to get rid of my period and I almost died because of it but I have no period now and it is everything to me but I literally almost had to die (laughs) to stop my period and I wish I could just like you know that Wanda Sykes bit where it's like you leave your pussy at home to go to the club Mm -hmm. yeah like that's what I wish I could do I wish I could just like take out my pussy and leave it home but also like my period stays with it oh Leave your your uterus and your pussy at home and you'll live your best life. I love to hear these stories. Please, if you are listening to this and you yourself 
or someone you know believed some batshit cuckoo banana something about menstruation, slide into these here DMs because fuck, I don't know why these stories amuse me so much, but they just do. Uh, So thank you for that little update. What a delight. Mm -hmm. And I have one more. Ooh. Okay. So our Australian listener revealed themselves to me. (laughs) Yeah. And I am in love. Let's just be real. So my, my true romance story is starting right now with um, an Instagrammer called Oscar. That's at Las Vegas on Instagram. Um, And they admitted that they were probably the Australian listener. um, And they said, good effort on my accent. Oh, I know. Right. To be clear, they were talking Um, about your accents and not mine. (laughs) Probably. We we had a lot of we had a lot of uh, chit chat about Australia. And I and I, you know, I just dazzled them with my Australia knowledge. They did confirm that swooping season is a real thing with the magpies. But there's also this other bird. I swear to God that swoops at them and it has um, it's called a plover and they have um, like claws coming out of their wings. Ooh. I swear to God, they sent me a picture. It's like it, it has like little claws coming out of the wings. And here's what they said. They said um, there's also a bird called a plover. I once ran through a field with an ice cream container on my head because the swooping from them was wild. And then he sent me a picture and I was like, what the fuck and i said there's no way that's a real thing and not a puppet from the mind of ridley scott and then they said no it is it is a real thing um and then they dared to challenge my dedication to australia by suggesting i'd never watched kath and kim which i live for kath and kim strong words yeah Mm -hmm. but it's okay it's okay you know what i was i was able to reel it in and prove my loyalty and they were like all right but i did i did urge them to you know, seek out that refugee status and flee Australia because I feel like they're in imminent danger. And uh, not only do we love all our listeners, we especially love our one listener in Australia. So please, Oscar, if you're listening, um, you need you need to flee. You need to leave that <laughs> continent and get somewhere safe. Come to okay? us. Come to us. Come to us. We will protect you. We, we love will. you. We love. That's you. my news. Oh, my last bit of news. Um, I bought a hi-fi record cabinet ooh! like yeah it's in perfect condition and um my mother's been sending me vinyl records for years and i don't have a record player i don't um you strike me i would like that surprises i knew that about you but i think the average person would be surprised to know that about you because you have such a love for old vintagey things that i think Mm -hmm. i would send you records assuming you had a record player so well, I'll, fault be, I'll be real. I do have a record player um, that my mom gave me, but it it lives um, at at Bryn's house at my at my uh, partner slash kid's dad's house. So um, it's lived there this whole time. I've never even took it out of the box, but I really, really wanted um, a cabinet. And I found one from this beautiful, wonderful Pakistani nurse lady who was selling hers. And um, it smells so delicious because it just smells like curry and I love it. I want to eat it up, but it's in perfect condition. And so I was able to pull out these stacks of records that my mom sent me. Um, and Liam was just like blown away because he's like, well, what is this? I love it. How does it work? And we were all into it. And I got to introduce him to Bad Out of Hell, which, you know, Ooh. is a big favorite of mine. Absolutely. But Julie, I mentioned to my mother in passing once. 
that, yeah, I like Barbara Streisand. And when I said that, I meant like, I like funny girl. <laughs> I, I like, you You'll know, fuck I like with Mary's the two faces. Yeah, I love Yentl. Like, give me that Babs. Give me funny Babs. That's what I want. And I will tell you right now, with just the one stack of records I brought upstairs, do you want to guess how many? One stack. Want to guess how many were Barbara Streisand records? Ten? No less than 20. What? I didn't even know Babs had 20 records. She must have 400. Julie, I swear to God, I have everything. I got Yentl. I got early stuff. I got live stuff. I got comedy stuff. I got it all. I got it all. And it's not even all of it. Like, truly. I have so many. And so I'm going to just listen to every single one. And if I don't become Barbara Streisand by the end of the year, we can't be friends anymore. I'm sorry. That's a thousand percent fair. I mean, I saw Barbara Streisand live a few years ago uh, because I am daughter of the year and I took my mother to see Oprah, Bette Midler, uh, Mm. brought her to see um, Babs. And it was me, my mom, and it was at the Canadian Tire Center in Ottawa, which is a giant hockey arena. It was me, Mm. my mom, maybe 10 other women and like 20,000 effeminate gay men (laughs) who were like crying and it was so incredible and i loved it so much Mm -hmm. uh and i i grew up in a family that is diehard babs so um i respect your mom's game but i do also it's like i yeah you tell people you like one thing and then that's all they think of um or you say it just like yeah yeah, i like her and they're like she's obsessed but actually she's not um Mm -hmm. and then yeah that's all you receive so i'm not surprised but i'm glad you now have the capacity to rock out to those records and you have a record player and a record stand to put all of your Babs collection. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. But I I did in in that pile find the Belladonna album by Stevie Nicks. And I love Stevie Nicks. Obviously, you know, I, I craft my entire uh, aesthetic around Stevie Nicks. Um, but, you know, I never wanted to spin around my living room in like a big dress and a, and a scarf before I listen to Edge of 17 on a record player. And now that's all I do. That's all I do with my time. I had to pull myself away from spinning to do this show. I thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining yeah. us in this important week where I'm um, doing it for our Australian listeners. <laughs> as you should. Uh, <laughs> do you want to talk about dudes now? I do. I do. Please do. Speaking of homosexuals. <laughs> Speaking of being in an arena full of 20,000 screaming gay men, which I will say is, a co- I have the aesthetic and musical tastes of gay men uh, because mm-hmm. I listen to nothing but disco, uh, techno, and I love a diva. So I saw Lady yeah. Gaga twice. It was, my dad is a huge Lady Gaga fan. My dad is the straightest, most masculine man you've ever met in your entire life, but can't get enough. Um, so I'm like very comfortable in the presence of men. <laughs> my favorite hobby is uh, watching UFC, uh, working on my car, watching stand-up comedy. So even though I'm a high femme, super feminist that people think is, hates men and masculinity, all of my hobbies, like weightlifting, working on my car, like <laughs> doing all, watching UFC, like all of these super doodly things. And so when you were like, hey, for Father's Day... Do we want to do something on like daddy slash masculinity? And I was like, fuck yes. So as longtime listeners know, we usually, well, I would say 99% of the time choose something fairly niche because that's our jam. 
But I picked something mainstream this time because this is a book that I thought would be perfect in the context of our podcast and our, you know, feminist lens and our love of comedy and all of those things. And fuck, I was right. So I am so stoked to tell you about my book this week. I read The Bromance Romance Club. Um, or oh, sorry, the, yeah. This, this, yeah, The Bromance Book Club. And The Bromance Book Club is by Lissa K. Adams, which is a pen name for a journalist who worked in journalism for 20 years. And wow. as she puts it in her biography, was tired of constantly writing sad stories which is what happens when you're a journalist so she pursued her dream of happily ever afters because she was a big fan of romance growing up and used to steal um romance books off her grandmother's bookshelf and said fuck it i'm going to pursue my dream which right away i'm like yes get it yolo so lissa k adams her first novel came out in 2015 she's based in michigan uh, her husband is a sports writer, which I think will explain some of the things in this book, which I loved. Uh, this, so the Bromance Book Club is the first in what is now a series. So there's the fourth book is coming out this July and it's called, Isn't It Bromantic? I love it. Oh my God. <laughs> Renee, I fucking loved this book. I, oh, I love to hear that. loved it this book it came out in 2019 um and it's a couple hundred pages so it's a long read but it was so good so uh it's a bestseller it was published by random house so it's very mainstream very sort of well known um but i think the most incredible book to read when you're wanting to talk about masculinity um and extremely well reviewed so four stars on goodreads bestseller um, and i totally understand why so if the other books in the series are anything like this one i fully intend to get them all so gavin gavin plays baseball with the nashville legends so he's worked the nashville legends are like a you know major league so he's a major league baseball player okay. and he the book starts off with him being an absolute hot mess because his wife of three years and mother of his twin girls is leaving him but what she actually said was they basically got into a huge fight and they got into a huge fight because he hit this um, grand slam home run situation, saved, you know, it was this incredible baseball historic moment. They had this incredible night and they went home and they were like all about each other. They fucked. She came. He looked at her and was like, huh? And then she ended up disclosing that she had been faking it their entire marriage. And oh, so no. basically when she came for real, he was like, what the fuck was that? And she was like, oh no, he can tell. Oh no, he can tell. And then she was like, yeah. And like, she wasn't trying to be mean and hurt his feelings, but he obviously it really hurt his feelings. And he gave her the cold shoulder for like weeks and slept in the guest room. And then finally she was just like, just get the fuck out if you're going to be this way. So now he is sulking. And he is sad. And he took the get out as like, get the fuck out forever. Um, but his teammates, who remember, are major league baseball players. And this is what okay. I fucking love about this book. They roll in and they're like, no, you dumb fuck. It doesn't mean get the fuck out forever. It means you got to do better. We got to, this isn't working. We need to change. And you just took it as like, oh, my woman is leaving me. And they're like, or you could just try harder. Like, do you ever think of that? So... 
Mm-hmm. They're like, we've all been there, man. And they're like, no, you haven't. And they're like, yeah, we have. And so they invite him. They say, leave your wife alone. Stay in this hotel room. Like, take some time. Tomorrow, we have our first meeting. He's like, what are you talking about? And they're like, just sh- don't talk to your wife. Come to the meeting tomorrow. And what is the meeting for? Their romance book club. Ooh, so, I love it. These major league baseball players have a book club where they read romance to help them improve their relationships with their wives and their partners. And I quote, first rule of book club is we don't talk about book club. (laughs) (laughs) And then they start talking about how the books show them how to court a woman, how to woo a woman, how to realize that like it's very rarely just about the physical, but that people need a connection in order to be able to trust, to be able to like let go and not just like have an orgasm, but also like have really fulfilling sex lives where you're actually getting what you want and like feeling free to explore things. Um, And they make a reference to something that now is forever going to be brought to this podcast, which is they rate their books based on how many BBs it is and what do you think BB stands for Renee like the letter BB uh big boobs book boner (laughs) (laughs) oh I love it like that book's a four BB and it's just like like oh yeah like the sex scenes are really hot so it's oh like my God. <laughs> right it's so good so they talk about how like the romance novels also teach like and how they have a particular um they're particularly fans of Regency novels because Ooh. they show how women's approach to sexuality is often shaped by culture which tells them they have to be repressed and that they don't have a lot of choices and so in the bedroom is like a great way in which for women to like exercise their choices and how some of the the romance novels are really regressive and that's why we need to talk about it because like like just all of the greatest and it's so great because the dialogue is written like they'll say things like toxic masculinity or whatever but then they're also just like dude that shit was hot and so like the dialogue is still feels (laughs) like realistic it doesn't feel like all of a sudden the tone shifts if that makes sense so They give him, they assign him a book, a Regency novel called Courting the Countess. And they say, read the book. Don't kiss your wife until I tell you to. And he's kind of like, what the fuck? Then the book, that's basically the book. The book is on him on a mission to woo his wife. And he goes to see her. And she says, basically, these are my conditions. You have one month. You can move back into this house for one month. And you have to sleep in the guest room. My sister stays and the sister is like really giving this guy side eye. Like she is not loving it. (laughs) Um, And she's like, you can stay here for a month, but you sleep in the guest room and my sister stays. And he's like, okay. um, My condition is I want to be able to kiss you goodnight every night. And I want us to go on a date a week. And she's like, fine. So he tries to court his wife um and he fucks up a bunch and every time he does he's supported by his teammates that give him some tough love um he confides he you know becomes vulnerable enough that he confides in his dad and is like you know i just always wanted a perfect marriage like yours and the dad's like (laughs) this marriage has not been perfect like all marriages have rough patches you just got to work through them um and then you know part of what he learns through his book club is like it's not just a matter of like literally figuring out how to press your wife's buttons but like getting her to feel comfortable to open up to you. And then in doing so, he realizes like, oh, she doesn't talk a lot about her family. 
because her father was a cheating scumbag who was never around um, and has been, you know, remarried four times. And so she just doesn't really trust men. And because she doesn't really trust them, she can't let herself go enough to come. So they're wooing each other and she's trying to resist it. Her sister's like, he's just playing you. He's literally a player. He is a competitor. He views this as a game. He doesn't respect you. And so she's kind of getting that perspective in one year, but then she's also really into it. So they go on some dates and they, um, one of them, they're like feeling each other in a big, bad way. Then they come back to the house and she basically like jumps him and he's like, okay, let's do this. And they're like super into it. And she's like about to come. And then he's really quite funny. Cause he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like trying to like amp her up basically. And she's like, I don't need you to cheerlead me right now. And he's like, I'm just trying to be encouraging. And she's like, you need to shut the fuck up. And then you're like, okay. So it's like this kind of cute moment. And she like puts her hand over his mouth and you're like, okay, she's going to come. And then she's just like, I can't, I can't. And then starts freaking out. And he's like, it's okay. It's okay. And she's like, no, no, it's not okay. I, I need you to leave. And he's like, what the fuck? Um, so then he goes up to a baseball diamond and he just like whacks a bunch of balls and he's like cursing and he's super pissed. And he's like, I've done everything right. Um, like what's going on? Why can't I get her to be comfortable with me? And why can't I get my wife to be vulnerable to me? And then realizes like, oh, I also need to be vulnerable with her. Aww. And so, yeah. So he comes back. And this is where this whole big, this sort of subtext of the book comes out. So one of the things I loved about this book is that he has a stutter. And he, um, one of the things he loves about his wife is that she's never made him feel weird about it. And um, I don't know if folks know anyone or do have a stutter, but um, stutter is like directly related to anxiety. So if someone is making you feel embarrassed for the fact that you're stuttering, you're going to stutter real bad. Um and she never did she like always let him just if you're stuttering just go and when you're done i'll say what i have to say um so he confesses to her in terms of like hey i gotta meet you halfway that when he was in high school he was a bit of a late bloomer and this girl really liked him um or sorry he really liked this girl and she seemed like she really liked him and then he tried to talk to her and was kind of stuttering and then she started a list of like one of those shitty lists of like and in this case it was like people we should pity fuck at the school because they're hot but they're pathetic and he was at the top of the list oh no so he like internalized this idea that basically he wasn't worthy um and so the reason why their relationship was going sideways and he was in denial about it is because he didn't want to lose her and he thought oh this woman is just like she only married me because I got her pregnant and we had to have this like shotgun wedding and she's just out of me out of with me out of pity. Cause he doesn't think that he's worthy of being with someone as hot and lovely as she is. So then they like both open up to each other. Then you're like, Oh my God, this is it. They're going to fuck. And they're, they fuck. And she's like about to come. And then Renee, you will empathize with this. A fucking child starts banging on the oh. door. Oh my God. Can the- I have some water? Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. The kid's just like, mom, I'm hungry. And they're like four or whatever. And she's like, son of a bitch. So then they're like, okay, he has this fancy Christmas party. He has to go to every year, which makes sense. He's a major league baseball player. So he's like, we're going to get the hotel room that comes with the party and we're going to fucking get down. And Renee, they do. They do. Oh. And you know why they get down? Because so there's no kids there. There's no kids, but also there's all this sexual tension all night. They're both looking good. They're both feeling each other. And then this wag, which are you familiar with the term wag? Wet ass gator. 
No. A leg, and there's actual reality shows of them, is like wives and girlfriends. And it's like the wives and girlfriends of famous athletes. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. So she always felt like the outlier in the wag group because she didn't come from money. Or like she, sorry, she came from money, but she didn't come, she didn't date him because he had money. She like just liked him, and then he was famous. Um, mm-hmm. And she always just and she you know went to school and stuff, so she wasn't where these other women were like absolute stereotypes. So they're at this fucking fancy ass Christmas party, okay? And she goes to go to the bathroom, and she overhears this bitchy ass woman who's like the ringleader of the Mean Girls talking about how. Um, oh, I heard their marriage is on the rocks. And like, yeah, I don't know whoever would want to be with her. But also, that motherfucker always stutters. I bet he stutters in bed. Whoo! Like, making fun of her husband. She overhears that. She fucking confronts her. And it's so badass. And like, tells her off. And it was like, just because your life is pathetic, you don't have to project it on other people. And like, just because you chose somebody, like, just because you're a gold digger doesn't mean other people don't have ethics. And na 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 and then her man's like, what's taking her so long? Comes around the corner while she says, yeah, he does stutter in bed and it's fucking hot to me. Woo! So then she leaves and then her husband follows her up to the hotel room. They fuck. She comes like 18 goddamn fucking times. They fuck in the bed, on the floor, in the thing, on the room service. It's a whole thing. And then you're <laughs> thinking, okay, this is it. This is done. No. Then she goes home and her sister's like, he's just playing you, plants a seed. It's this whole fucking thing. There's this oh, whole no. thing. And then they end up ac- unknowingly, um, she stumbles upon the pile of romance novels that he had in his, that he had been hiding and the sister instead of and at first she's kind of amused she's like do you read these and he's like um yeah is that weird she's like no i read these too i have them on my e-reader like i love those books and he's like oh okay and then the sister comes in and she's like see i told you he was playing you he was just learning some moves to get you back and she fucking believes her sister for some stupid reason anyways there's another big like fight but then they grand gesture each other and they both like do this grand thing to show up for each other because she realizes hey me faking it wasn't nice to him but i'm not apologizing for that part but i am apologizing for the fact that like he i also wasn't being vulnerable with him and so he wasn't able to be vulnerable with me which means we weren't actually connecting very well so they grand gesture each other they like literally run into each other's arms it's this whole thing and they are just like, we're going to be together forever and relationships take work, but vulnerability is the key to success. Oh my God. Oh, oh I'm getting all misty. <laughs> Renee, I was in my feels. Yeah. But also this book. So it was extremely well written. There was not a single typo, no weird. And like, I'm telling you, a bunch of dude bros are hanging around talking about romance novels and none of it felt contrived or hokey or like cheesy like none of it it was so funny and like so good and so fucking spicy like oh my god it was so hot i cried it was a whole it was a lot so i'm giving it five out of five nashville hot chickens um (laughs) how many bbs what's that oh bbs oh five out of five bbs like, nice. it was probably one of the hottest books I've read. And I think it was because, like, I love a slow burn, but sometimes a slow burn is like, fucking kill me now. Like, just do it. But this was, like, a slow burn that felt, like, just so real with people who are, like, you could, like, literally see them be like, I could just fake this right now. And then being like, no, I'm committed to being honest and being vulnerable. And I love that. I love the fact that he was a person with disability. And that, like, part of the whole thing was that, like, 
she didn't love him despite the fact that he stuttered. She just was like, yeah, that's my man. He's smoking hot and he stutters. Who gives a shit? Um, and I loved the like male camaraderie. Like these were doodly dudes and at no point was their masculinity questioned or like their heterosexuality questioned. They were just like, hey man, like we're just friends. Let's look out for each other. And like you can't be gone all the time as a professional athlete and leave this woman with her two twins because you're always on the road and not expect her to need attention, you know? Yeah. And she didn't feel comfortable enough to let go to be with you. That's kind of on you as much as it's on her for faking. You know what I mean? Like it just was like mm-hmm. so good. And I, yeah, I absolutely loved it. I absolutely loved it. And Aww. I cannot wait to read the others. And from what I can see, the others are like different players on the team who are going oh through stuff God. who then find joy. <sighs> is so- it required reading for men? Would you say? I absolutely think it is. Yeah. I really, yeah, I really think men should read this, straight men in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why this book came to our attention, as you know, is that we found out that there is, in fact, a former professional athlete who runs a romance book club for men. And he has a template where he encourages other men to start their own book clubs. And it was inspired directly from this book. And the idea of these men turning to romance to be like, hey, if we want to know what women think, Let's fucking ask them, but also let's read books that they've written about what their fantasies are in terms of sex. And my only, well, one, I was concerned it would be cheesy because, I mean, the premise could easily go sideways. But I also was concerned that that it would boil it down to, like, what women read really need is, like, for men to make sweet, sweet love to them. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, there's, like, that assumption that it's, like, oh, it's because, it's, like, no, not all women, like you still need intimacy if you're like doing kinky dark shit. Like it's still an intimacy is important for a lot of women. And I love that that was what they focused on. It wasn't just like, you need to like smooth talker. Like they were also like talking dirty to each other and like being filthy, but they had a connection. And so that's what made it like loving, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Which I loved. I totally loved because I was totally afraid they were going to be like, you're, you can't make your wife come because you're too rough. But actually like, he like spanks her and like does all this stuff and that gets her like geared up to go because she's like oh he's actually listening to me and asking me for feedback and doing all of these things so yeah 10 out of 10 cannot recommend enough the bromance book club oh i love that yeah i love it 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 was it was so good renee like and i kept thinking why is this not a fucking movie like, this would yeah. totally be a Netflix series, like, especially now that there's four, like, you could literally have a whole series of it. Like, I just think it's ripe for inspiration for other people. But in terms of inspiration, inspire me, Renee. I am dying to know what you chose for this week. Oh, my God. I can't wait to jump into it. But I feel like your wish to have it become a series on Netflix is totally plausible because I don't know if you knew this, they just came out with a fear street series based oh. on the books by R.L. Stein. And there's going to be three of them and they're coming out like in sequence. And I'm so excited because that's what I lived on was fear street books. So real excited. I know you love your goosebumps girls. I know. Oh, I know. Oh my God. Yeah. And it's like one every week starting July 6th or something. I think they're like launching and it's like a different time period as the, yes. as the fear street. Oh, I'm so fucking pumped. I'm so pumped. Yeah. yeah, same, same. Like, Arl Stein was my everything when I was growing up. And I'm so yeah. excited. And I do. Yeah, we've seen like the um, to all the boys I've loved before, like same thing, a book that like inspired a 
couple Netflix shows. So I'm hoping the same happens with, especially because Bridgerton was so huge that Netflix right. realized, oh yeah, there's a real appetite for romance. And this is a contemporary romance, but about Regency novels. So I feel like you could do, and like this book does, like there's excerpts from the book that he's reading, which is kind of fun. Like, so you'll see, oh, I like so that. like they could easily do flashbacks to like Regency scenes and then come back and, um, yeah, it's so it's perfect for adaptation. But um, I love that. Yeah, tell me everything. What did you read? So my book would also be perfect for television or film adaptation because Julia was written by a screenwriter. Ooh, <laughs> screenwriter Paul Rednick. Does that name ring any bells for you? It should because he's a screenwriter for a little thing called Sister Act. What? Yes, and actually. <laughs> so actually his name isn't on sister act. he has a pseudonym on sister act because he originally wrote the part for bet Midler, and when they <laughs> and when bet they when they switched it and they refashioned it for whoopee he re he refused to have his name associated with it as a true gay man like let's be real he's like no no i like whoopee <laughs> but this was for bet um <laughs> yeah I mean, so he yeah, also respect respect yeah <laughs> Yeah. So he also uh, wrote the screenplay for Adam's Family Values. And you know I love me some uh -oh. De Debbie Jelinski and Uncle Fester. Ooh, ooh. And also, like, fuck me up, Gomez Adams. Oh, my God. Like, let's talk about, like, healthy masculinity. Oh, Gomez 100%. Adams. And I recently blew a bunch of dudes' minds by bringing up the fact that the reason why Gomez Adams is so thirsty for his wife is because Adam's family is satirical and meant to throw family values on its head. And in North America, you're supposed to hate <laughs> your wife. And so they purposely flip that on its head so that Morticia and Gomez are just like constantly down to pound. And he's like kissing up her arm and buying her flowers and shit because it's the opposite of how mm -hmm. men behave in North America. So yeah. I and Gomez. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a huge, huge Adams Family films fan um but you know it's weird for me because my mom looks identical to angelica houston has it aged exactly like angelica houston and my son thought that angelica houston was his grandmother when, we were, <laughs> when he was little so it's like it's very weird for me but i love adam's family love it he also was a screenwriter for in and out and he wrote the play jeffrey which <sighs> in 1993 it was a comedy about aids and so nobody would play it until like it blew up and then they were like, come do it on our stage. So big deal, big deal guy. He's, um, he's a gay man. Um, a lot of what I read about him online is featured in this story. Like a lot of the characters you can see are very clearly based on some of the aspects of his own life. And this book, Julie, I don't even know if I can talk about it without crying because it was so beautiful. Oh my God. I love this. And not only was it beautiful, Julie, it was outrageously funny. Oh, like outrageously the funny. Yeah, I mean, from the guy who fucking wrote Sister Act. Yeah, <laughs> hilarious. Um, <laughs> and you know, he. I was reading some interviews with him, and he felt that you know, like one, he was astonished that there were no openly gay royals, uh, which is what this book is about. But also that like it's really important for there to be healthy uh, romance books for the LGBTQ community. And I was like, could not agree more. So. Let me get into it. I read Playing the, Playing the Palace by Paul Rudnick. And again, it's it's not like a hard to find book. I found it because it showed up in my like news feed and it's 
very popular. It's blowing up. And I just wanted to read something good, you know, something new, something, you know, a little different for me. You know, I love to read those, you know, really <laughs> <Cryptids>. awful. <laughs> Cri- give me a cryptid. Give me a witch. Give me fucking, give me a mothman. Fuck me up. Yeah. Like this is, this is a modern popular piece of, of fiction. And I got an ebook. Um, it's called playing the palace. I loved every minute of it and because i had to read it so quickly for the show i'm gonna read it again because i loved it so much um i had to walk away from my kid while i was reading it because i was crying i was so happy so here we go um carter ogden jewish man living in manhattan he's an event planner um he's recently broken up with his boyfriend callum who is like an actor he does little little bit roles and and uh commercials and stuff but he cheated on carter and carter's been really heartbroken so carter finds himself on valentine's day just feeling invisible feeling like love doesn't exist you know he's trying to work on himself and part of that involves you know accepting that love doesn't exist but you know he just he just really wants his life to change he's he's on the cusp of 30 and uh he just wants something to be different he wants a new direction in his life. And so on his way to work at the uh, event planning company, eventfully yours, <laughs> um, <laughs> he stops at St. Paul's cathedral. Um, and even though he's a Jewish man, he goes there. Cause he's like, there's one God. I just, I, you know, let's just be put my wishes out there. So he talks about how he just really wants to find, he wants to find a way to, you know, find a partner and, and live his truth and find a way to give back to the community in an honest and compassionate way um, without belittling people. He just wants a big life full of love, but he wants to stay himself and help others. And that's his wish, his prayer that he puts out there. So he goes off to work um, and it's the particular event that he's working at right now is for the UN. So um, the Prince of England is um, part of this, he founded this charity for like getting clean drinking water to a bunch of countries that don't have it. And so he's speaking to the UN about that today. And, you know, this prince is really important to the queer community because he is openly gay. He's the first openly gay English royal. And he's a big deal to everybody. And he's also foxy. Like he is so fucking handsome. And for Carter, he actually has this love hate relationship with him as a celebrity because he shares a birthday with him. So his his beautiful Jewish family has always been comparing him to Prince Edgar. You know, be like, why can't you be more like Prince Edgar? He, he's so well-dressed. He's so well-behaved. Be like him. So he's kind of like love-hate with this guy. So he sets up this event. And then his boss, Cassandra's like, I got to go run to another event. Can you keep, hold down the fort? And he's like, for sure. So everything's set up. <clears throat> All the staff leave the room. And he's just kind of admiring his work. And then he starts to do this weird, like, gratitude prayer that his boss taught him to do. And it's really silly. Um, But then all of a sudden he's like, oh, he hears this voice. He's like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. And it's Prince Edgar. And he's like, oh, shit, no, sorry. I was just, I just, I hope this is okay for you, your highness, you know, everything. And he's like, no, no, it's great. And then the prince is like, well, hey, you know, would you mind listening to my speech and just giving me some notes? And Carter at this point is kind of like, is this my life right now? Um, so he's like, yeah, okay. And so 
he, you know, he comments to the prince. He's like, you know, uh, you got to loosen up a bit. You know, you're, you're really stiff and, and, you know, just become more personable and let loose and, you know, shake it out and stuff. And he's like, okay. And then he, you know, he helps to tame the prince's hair with a flyaway and prince is like, oh my God. And so they have this moment where they're starting to connect. There's some electricity between them. And then all of a sudden Prince Edgar's, um, security detail rush in. They're like, it was time to start. And so Carter gets ushered out. And um, he's just like, wow, that was that was weird. I can't wait to tell my friends and my roommates and stuff because his roommates are like a gay man and a lesbian. And they're obviously very invested in his life <laughs> and his sister, who's like, you know, this incredible woman. But like, she's a showstopper, like everything is about her and it's lovely. And everybody supports him. He's living this really lovely, supportive family and friend situation. So he's back at home and he's, you know, kind of just you know shaking off the fact that you know he he's met this celebrity and everything and then he gets a call from james and james is the prince's security detail he's like the the head honcho he's like the prince would like to take you to dinner and um you know so be ready for that and he's like okay so he goes out to dinner with the prince and he's just like oh my god i don't this is really weird for me. Everybody like the, the British people are very critical of what he's wearing and stuff. And, um, he, he kind of hates this restaurant. He doesn't know what to order. He doesn't get it. And, um, so he's like, let me take you somewhere else. And so he takes the Prince of England to IHOP, the international house of pancakes. And the reason he does is because this place is really sacred to him. So it just, it makes him feel good to eat pancakes. And he wants to share that with Edgar. Edgar is just like, for some reason, he just feels so attached to him and Edgar is starting to like open up to him. And we find out that like Edgar's parents died this really tragic plane crash death. And so he's been alone with his with his brother and his grandmother, who's the Queen of England all this time. And so there's a lot of uh, pressure on him to behave a certain way, as we all know from like, you know, Harry and Meghan. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. And so he's trying to like get him to open up without like putting his foot in his mouth because like your story there's a lot of themes of like around worth and worthiness and mm. carter just like does not feel like he's a worthy person he feels like he's gonna screw things up he's convinced of it and you know with with Calum and all of that it's just that that's just where he's coming from and so they go and they um ha- they go and have ihop and then unfortunately they get recognized and um, they get swarmed by like pe- like patrons in the restaurant and all of that. And so then the prince has to like scatter. He has to run away. And so again, this is like a situation where, where Carter's like, okay, you know what? I had my brush with fame again. It's, it's great. Cool. Um, so weeks later, he hears from Calum, his ex-boyfriend. And Calum's like, let me take you out. I want to do that. And Carter's not interested. He's finally moving on. But he's like, all right, yeah, all right, let's do this. And um, so the reason that Caelan took him out is because he saw the paparazzi photos of him with the prince. Mm-hmm. And so he's he's trying to say like, you know, well, you know, I just miss you. I miss us. I miss, I miss this. And he's like, all right, fine. You know, whatever. He's like, but you know, I'm not into this. And then all of a sudden, Caleb's like, what the fuck? And he looks out the window and who's there? But the prince just hanging outside the window of this like bar that they're in and he's like hey what's what's up and he's like oh well i i just i wanted to apologize for what happened and he's like well that was like two weeks ago man like 
I appreciate that you're very polite and you want to be cool and stuff, but it's not for me. And he's like, okay. So <clears throat> later Carter's at work and then the prince fucking shows up with a picnic basket. And he's like, we're going on a picnic, bitch. So they go on a picnic in Central Park and you know, Carter, he does have a bit of a backbone because he's like, you know, it's it's not cool that you keep like disappearing like this. I don't, it, it, it doesn't feel good. And he's like, look, I'll tell you the truth. He's like, I wanted to be here with you. I wanted to come back. But my grandmother, the queen of England said, I can't. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he's like, you know, she said, I was never to see you again, but I, I negotiated and she's, and we came to an agreement that if I didn't talk to you or contact you for a month, if I could do that, then she would give me her blessing to like court you. And he's like, okay. And he's like, but I couldn't, I couldn't last that long because it's been two weeks. So he's like, here I am to find my grandmother. I just, I want to get to know you. I want to be with you. And so they're just like this whole time they're trying to get to know each other and, and like build a relationship. We find out that like Edgar's super vulnerable. He has a brother, his brother's married, um, Edgar is supposed to, you know, ascend to the throne one day, but there's a lot of pressure on him. And meanwhile, Carter is like, just kind of hates himself and just doesn't feel like any of this is real, which I think is very reasonable. Mm -hmm. So they're having this picnic, but they're like, let's get out of here. And so they hop on some city bikes and they fucking take off and go see the Statue of Liberty. Very New York. Like it's all like New York, New York, New York. So they do that. And then finally, um, He's like, okay, well, this was great. Um, thank you for spending time with me, your highness. Um, but, you know, th thanks for all this. And he's like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to stop seeing you yet. And he's like, well, okay. He's like, what are you doing tomorrow? He's like, oh, well, my sister has her rehearsal dinner. And he's like, well, what are you doing the next day? He's like, well, it's my sister wedding. And then the prince says, can I come with you to your Jewish sister's wedding? So you can imagine how that goes in this hilarious book. It is hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. It is so funny. The whole, like, every single family member gives Edgar the third degree, and he just leans into it, and it's lovely, and it's it's just beautiful. So that happens, and then Edgar's like, hey, you know, you met my family. Uh, he, Edgar's like, I met your family. I demand you come and meet my family. So Carter's like, you want me to come stay at the palace? at Buckingham Palace and meet your family. He's like, yep. So Carter goes to England and they, yeah, he, he's staying in the, in the, in the palace. And the whole idea was that Edgar wanted, he wants so badly to have a relationship with Carter and, but he wants him to understand the responsibility of dating a Royal and what that means. If only Megan had had this opportunity. Mm -hmm. If, only um so they go to like a bunch of different events and things and every single time carter does something that brings shame to the royal family and the royals are not homophobic it has nothing to do with that it's that he's a commoner he's a jewish event planner from new jersey so he is not the caliber of man that they want to see edgar with and they think that it's just going to cause him grief um, so they don't really, they're not really super supportive, but they're letting it happen. So there's an event where like, um, they go to like a rugby game and, you know, he ends up hugging Edgar, um, when somebody scores a goal and then that ends up in the tabloids and the tabloids flip it 
to be like, look at this gay slut from America, you know, like all of that. And so the queen's like, duh, you're ruining our everything. And she hates Carter and she, you know, all of this stuff. And then they go to a hospital and at the hospital, um, they, the kids ask Edgar or they ask Carter to like tell a story and ends up telling a story about like a gay Superman marrying a prince, riding a dragon. And so then, you know, everybody, the tabloids blew up with that. And then Edgar's super pissed. And then he's like, Edgar's finally like, I found the perfect event that you can't fuck up. This is for you. You're going to be great. It's going to be awesome. So they go on like the equi- the story's equivalent of like the Great British Bake Off. And it's the final <laughs> episode. It's being, it's being cast live. Um, Carter's family back home love that show. So everybody's watching. The world is watching. And so because of like the big hiccup at the hospital, um, Edgar's brother and his sister-in-law are chaperoning basically. So there's like the three final meals. They're trifles. They have to, t- they have to eat them um, and like basically judge them. And so um, Carter gets the last trifle and it's like, he's so excited because the woman who made it like made like a gay trifle. She made like a rainbow trifle and he just like, Oh, I want to love this so that, you know, she, you know, she feels supported and stuff. And so he eats it and he's like, Oh my God, this is actually super delicious. But as it turns out, something in it curdled under the lights and he immediately gets food poisoning and immediately barfs everywhere. Mm. Not only does he barf everywhere on live television, Julie, he falls onto the table and pulls the um, tablecloth with him. And then there was a candle in that trifle. So it lights it on fire. So it's just like <laughs> everything that could go wrong for this poor guy goes wrong. And um, he's like laying up in a cot and he's just like miserable. And that's when Edgar tells him that he loves him. And he's like, oh my God, you know, and this whole time, like Edgar just doesn't want to get political. He wants to be like neutral about everything. And the fact that he's gay, he recognizes is like a huge responsibility to like the world, like the queer community, but he's trying so hard to be neutral about everything. And then the woman who made the trifle came over and she like explains that, you know, she and her partner are gay. And like, even just from where they live, like her partner who um, is like an orthodontist or something had a little rainbow flag in her window and somebody came in and like started like assaulting her and like spit on the flag and all this stuff. And so they live in fear all the time. So the fact that like they're there on television and you know, they're, you know, he's, they're being open about their love and that Prince is open. It's huge for them. And so they start to realize like the weight of the responsibility of them being open together and everything. And it's really beautiful. And so they just kind of accept that responsibility. And so what ends up happening is they end up going on a tv show um like a like a bbc interview show um because they're ready to like lean into that responsibility carter and edgar so they go on the show and this like reporter is ruthless as i'm sure you've been there and done that julie like Mm -hmm. she was awful so what ends up happening is they're like you know what does your future look like and she's like they're like yeah no it, it looks positive and then the reporter's like, well, what would you say if you saw this picture date? Like the date is stamped from last night of Carter embracing his ex-boyfriend, Caleb. And you're like, what? Because they didn't explain that. So what What it turns out is that Carter went out the night before because Caleb messaged him to say like, hey, I'm in town. Do you want to like get, get a beer or something? And he's like, yeah, yeah, okay. But of course, Caleb, who's like a fucking, you know, whore for attention was like, you know, oh, I, I want us to be together. And he's like, it's not happening, man. Like, I'm happy. This is great. Um, so then Caleb, like, 
kisses him forcefully and um obviously people get photos of it and so those photos end up going to the tv show and then caleb's like yeah no we've never broken up we've been together this whole time and so edgar's like furious and they're doing this all on television like this woman is interviewing them on television and they're pissed so at this point you know carter's trying to explain like that's not what happened like you have to believe me that's not what it looks like like let me explain and they start to be really honest and vulnerable on tv which was like the first time they've had this big vulnerability talk and so the reporter's like yum 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 um but then you know edgar won't believe him and so carter's like fuck it fuck it fuck you fuck it and he leaves and he goes back to america and he is miserable and fortunately for carter he has like this beautiful group of family and friends who are just like surrounding him with love it's incredible um and then it's Thanksgiving and all of a sudden he's at fam- his family Thanksgiving and then the security detail from England shows up, but it's not Edgar who's with them. No, no. It's the queen of England. What? The royal bitchiness. Who's like, my grandson is inconsolable. He won't eat. He won't sleep. He can't do anything. Um, you know, he's, he's going to advocate the throne and I can't stop it. And so it's all on you now, Carter. Bye. And he's like, what the fuck am I supposed to do? Um, And so he's just like panicking. He's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And um, so he's like, I got to go to England. I got to go to England. I got to talk to this guy. So he rushes to go to the plane and then he misses it. He misses this flight. And then there's no other flight for eight hours. And it's going to be beyond this interview where he's going to like advocate the throne. And so he's just like so upset. He's so discouraged. And all of a sudden he gets this email that was also sent to Edgar, but it's a video from James, the leader of the security detail. And so he shares this story about how as a queer man, he's like, you know, 50 years ago, I was in love with this person, but it was illegal to be gay. And I worked for your grandfather and my partner convinced me that we should have a ceremony and like marry each other in that ceremony, like between ourselves and our friends. And so they did that and they had this beautiful ceremony, but then they got raided by the police and the police arrested everybody. And it was really horrible. But then the, the King at that time who he worked for was like, I can pull you out of prison and our, and our legal team can like erase this, but you are never to ever see another man again. And so he accepted those terms. So he's lived this long life of like, lovelessness so he's like that's why your relationship is so important he's like because if your relationship had existed i could have still been with my my partner and i've never seen him again and you know like you have you have to fix this you have to stay together you have to fix this and so it was just really beautiful and then um edgar goes on tv and you think like he's gonna abdicate the throne but actually he like apologizes he's like i should have trusted my partner you know, he gave me no reason to lie to him. I have trust issues. This is my problem. Um, you know, and I should have trusted my partner and I love you and I hope you love me too. Will you marry me? And we're like, oh my God. and so he agrees. He rushes to England and they have like the biggest gayest wedding in the world. And it's amazing. And it's great. And that was a story. And I just cried nonstop and I don't, there's so many moments in the story that were just so funny and so pure and hilarious. And I want everybody to go read it. Like I, I could not possibly go through all the details of all the different characters and all the different things because I've done that in the past, Julie. And it just takes me like an hour into the show and I've, I've just lost everybody, but <laughs> it just, it's just a really simple story about 
two men who find each other totally by chance, kind of because of a prayer. They're from totally different sides of the tracks. Seriously, like one's a Jewish event planner and one's the fucking Prince of England, right? Like they somehow find each other at the United Nations. We're the United Nations. It was beautiful. The queen shows up a bunch of times and she's fucking ruthless and she's a boss bitch and she's hilarious and I love her. And I'm going to read a scene where he runs into the queen for the first time. Um, they There were sex scenes, but they weren't really sex scenes. It was more like in movies where it's like they start and then it's oh. afterwards. But they were still beautiful. Like that's the thing is like, I wasn't disappointed that there wasn't hardcore sex scenes in the story. I wasn't. The whole thing was romance. The whole thing was beautiful. The whole thing was these two men unpacking their trauma and their and their hurt and finding ways to love each other by loving themselves more. And it was just, it was so lovely. It was so lovely. It was so funny. Uh, Carter has this picture of Ruth Bader Ginsburg who like <laughs> in his mind talks to him and like hypes him up and stuff. Um, and so every now and then he'll be like, shut up, Ruth. Cause we're just like, don't be, don't be a fucking idiot. Like it's so funny. And I know I just did not do it justice, but please like everybody go read it. It was lovely. It would be, a, I hope it gets made into a movie. I bet it will. I'm going to put money. Oh, on it. this will but, be a movie. It was yes. perfect. And it has, it was one, I mean, it was such a bestseller. It was so huge. But then with everything going on with like monarchy frenzy because of Prince Harry and mm-hmm. Meghan and all of that, I feel like, yeah, the, Oh, I'm so glad that it was so good. Are you going to read us a little something, something? I am. So I'm going to read a scene where um, Carter has just gotten to the palace and he and Edgar are in separate rooms and he um, naps as soon as he gets there, but he's decided I need to, like, I need to get a snack. So he finds his way down to the kitchen and he's found a little snack, but the queen walks in, in the middle of the night. <clears throat> so... Here we go. I'm going to do my best queen accent here. I investigated a tank-like refrigerator and helped myself to a pitcher of milk. There was an open carton of wheat crackers in a nearby cabinet. As I sampled a cracker, a voice cried, Thief for shame! I froze. A small but sturdy woman in the kitchen door wearing a sensible cotton nightdress and well-worn slippers with her hair wrapped in a coiffure-protecting satin turban. She was Queen Catherine, Edgar's grandmother. I recognized her from countless photos of Edgar's ten-pound note. What are you doing here, you malignant reptile? Oh, no, Jesus, I'd crossed the Atlantic to meet this woman and I planned on showcasing myself at my most polished, as humble and civilized and as irresistibly articulate and well-groomed companion for her grandson. And here I was, in sweats, bleary-eyed from the flight with God knows what in my hair. And Queen Catherine was insulting me and shooting lasers from her eyes and about to hoist a cleaver from the rack on the wall and slice off at least one of my uh, lacerous hands. I, I'm so sorry, I'm Carter, I'm a guest of Edgar's. I was saying this with a partially chewed cracker in my mouth, crumbs of which were spewing out onto the floor. Not my best look, with my words barely intelligible. I was like a greedy raccoon caught in the glare of a homeowner's flashlight as I rooted through the recycling bins. You're him, said the queen. You're that dreadful person in the, fo- in the photograph who humiliated my grandson, myself, and the Commonwealth. And here you are, stealing foodstuffs from my larder. I'm sorry, I'll put it right back and I'll pay for whatever I've eaten. Stand up. Let me see you. I'd been crouched, rifling through a lower cabinet. I swallowed the rest of my cracker, almost choked, stood and moved closer to the queen, but not too close because I didn't want to come off as disrespectful. And because while Catherine was 82 years old 
and seemingly unarmed, she was a powerful physical presence like the most superior, battle-ready, potentially lethal pit bull off its leash. You resemble the photo, only you're wearing more clothing and you've misplaced your cheap paper crown. You look like an American homosexual. Was this a slur? A compliment? Would an American homosexual appear beneath my chin in my Scotland Yard mugshot? I, I do. You look oddly innocent, even cheerful, and yet absurd. You're not unattractive, and you haven't yet become as large and as misshapen as many of your fellow citizens, particularly the politicians. Your hair strikes me as strenuously curated, your skin is acceptable, your dental work remains one of your homeland's rare virtues, and your feet are inexplicably clean. I was barefoot, which made me feel naked, but I wished I'd recorded the Queen's reference to cleanliness to forward to my mom. I'm trying to imagine what my grandson sees in you. Are you some breed of double-jointed sexual prodigy? Yes, Cirque du Soleil, Vegas. I was so scared that I'd aimed for a joke lacking any other option. There was an extended silence, and then the queen approached, smiling, but thought better of it. Her disdain remained absolute, and my approval rating had shifted some microscopic iota. Come closer. I walked slowly, in case this was a trick, and she was luring me towards a hidden trapdoor where I'd plunge into a palace uh, sub-basement and land among skeletons of previous interlopers. To postpone this fate, I held out a box of crackers. Would you? You dare offer me a cracker which belongs to me? Have you lost your mind and all sense of decency and decorum? Yes, I would like one. And it goes on like that. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of like... Moments in the in the in the story where like um, photos get leaked, his phone gets hacked, and there was like a selfie he took of him in the Prince and Burger King crowns in bed. <laughs> it's just so funny. Anyway, that that was just a little, a little snippet. The queen, the queen is hilarious in the story. The book is hilarious. Everything is hilarious. Everything is beautiful. Everything is moving. I sobbed so much. Read it. Cannot recommend it enough. What you gonna read, Julie? Oh my gosh, that's so lovely. Well, I'm glad we're keeping people on a high note this week, and it's not like it was hot garbage about fucking dinosaurs having sex with the abominable snowman or some shit. It was a raccoon shifter. <laughs> um, so I'm just gonna read you a little because it was actually quite hard to pick something because there's a lot of context mm. necessary yeah. to understand most of the scenes. So all you need to know is this is right at the beginning. He's realizing, like, his friends have told him, you got to come to this meeting. We got to come. And he doesn't understand what the meeting is. So there's going to be a lot of different people named and different things, but they're all just fellow baseball players. They're all part of the Nashville legends. They're his baseball player friends that are pulling him together. And one of them is nicknamed the Russian because he is Russian. So, yeah, I'm going to do an accent. That's what's up. Oh, (laughs) you're doing a Russian accent. (laughs) Julie, no. I'm ready. Oh, my God. Because I am a tall, blonde woman. I am a Russian in a previous life. Um, okay, so the he's met up with his friends to be like, uh, to tell them that he did go back to their place, to his house, and he tried to kind of grand gesture and like passionately kiss his wife, and she was kind of thrown off by it. And he's telling this to his friends, saying like, yeah, I did the thing. And they were like, you fucking idiot. We told you not to. So that's kind of what's going on. what the fuck man mac barked we told you not to go see her a dude he recognizes malcolm james running back for the the nashville nfl team choked on his beer did you at least ask permission first or was it a sneak attack kiss a sneak attack i guess yan smacked the back of his head that's grand gesture shit man you're not there yet grand gesture what 
The guys gave him varying degrees of dirty looks as they gathered their plates and headed for a massive game table on the other side of the basement. The Russian grumbled over the remains of the food, finally settling on a bag of pretzels. He tucked it under his arm as if someone might steal it. Too much pizza, he said glaring as he walked by Gavin. Cheese, it shoot straight out of my ass. <laughs> that was a visual I didn't need. Gavin, come on, time to get started. Swiping his apple off the counter, he dragged his feet toward the one remaining chair. Dell cleared his throat and stood. Everyone ready? The guys nodded, mouths full. Good. First rule of book club? They finished in unison. You don't talk about book club. What the fuck? Gavin looked around for a hidden camera. This had to be a prank. A book club? That is your grand plan for saving my marriage? Dell nodded at Mac, who rose on one hip and pulled a book from his back pocket. He tossed it at Gavin. It nailed him right in the face. Nice reflexes. Hope you're better at shortstop. Gavin bared his teeth. I play second base, asshole. Mac shrugged. Isn't that basically the same thing? Gavin ignored him and retrieved the book from the table where it fell. He blinked at the cover. A woman from like the 1800s or some shit was leaning on a couch with a dude in one of those old timey suits standing behind her. His shirt was open. Courting the Countess, Gavin read slowly. He ground his molars and looked up. Is this a joke? No. Uh, this is a romance novel. Yes? Gavin shot to his feet. I can't believe you assholes. My life is falling apart and you're making fun of me. I thought the same thing when Malcolm brought me in, Dell said, but it's not a joke. Sit down and listen. Gavin pressed the heel of his hand to his forehead and shut his eyes. When he opened them again, everyone was staring at him. Not a weird dream, then. What the hell's going on here? If you'd shut up for a second, we'll explain it to you, douchebag, Matt said. Gavin turned in his chairs. You guys read romance novels. We call them manuals, the Russian said. <laughs> And it's a lot more than just reading, Malcolm said. Gavin went cold. If you're about to drag me into some kind of kinky sw swinger shit, I swear to fucking God. Dean leaned forward, elbows on the table. I'm going to tell you something I never told you before. Yeah, I'm not sure I want to know. Listen, two years ago, Nessa filed for divorce. The ground shifted beneath Gavin's chair. What? Why didn't you tell me? One, I barely knew you then. And two... Probably for the same reason you're reluctant to tell anyone what happened between you and Thea. It's emotional. It's personal. But you and Nessa are perfect. Things are always different behind closed doors, aren't they? Yeah, but in Gavin's case, part of the problem was that he was too stupid to know he actually sucked in bed or that his wife had apparently started to hate his guts. The way she'd looked at him today, he shuddered. He seriously doubted Del could relate. Nearly every man at this table has been on the verge of losing his wife, his girlfriend, or fiance at some point, Dell continued. And Gavin recalled the cryptic thing he said last night. We've all been where he is. And every one of us not only got our girls back, but repaired our relationships better than ever. Gavin scanned the faces at the table. They greeted him with nods, smiles, and even from Mac, the finger. <laughs> Gavin <laughs> returned the gesture, then shook his head. I don't understand what any of this means or has to do with me. Look, man, Malcolm said, his Hulk-sized hand stroking a beard thick enough to qualify for federal forest protection. <laughs> Men are idiots. We complain that women are so mysterious and shit, and we never know what they want. We fuck up our relationships because we convince ourselves that it's too hard to figure them out. But the real problem is with us. We think we're not supposed to feel things. We're not supposed to cry. We're not supposed to express ourselves. We expect women to do all the emotional labor in a relationship and then act confused when they give up on us. 
Gavin puffed out a nervous breath. That hit a little too close to home. You seem to think that all you had to do was show up here and I'd just smile and pretend everything was fine. I've been doing that for three years, Gavin. I'm done, she had said. I, I, I still don't know what you're talking about, he stammered. Romance novels are primarily written by women for women, and they're entirely about how they want to be treated and what they want out of life and in a relationship. We read them to be more comfortable expressing ourselves and to look at things from their perspective. Gavin blinked. You guys are serious. Dead serious, Del said. The Russian with the cheese problem nodded. Reading romance make me know how much my wife and I see world differently and how I need to be better at speaking her language. Her language? Ever said something to Thea that you thought was totally innocuous only to have her storm off and then claim for hours that she's fine? Malcolm asked. Yeah. Or say something you thought was funny only to have her get super offended? Well, yeah, but Yan piped in. Or tell her that you put the dishes in the dishwasher only to have her get all pissy about how you shouldn't expect a gold star for doing what should be the responsibility of any adult in the goddamn house. A chill run down his spine. Have you guys been talking to her? <laughs> Yan snorted. You guys speak different languages to each other. He pointed at the book. You'll learn hers by reading romance. But Thea doesn't even read these kinds of books. The guys exchanged glances and then burst out laughing. Dell patted him on the back. Keep telling yourself that. But I've never seen anything like this in my house. Derek Wilson, a local businessman he recognized from his TV commercial, spoke up. Hey, uh, she have one of those uh, e-reader things? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think so. It's full of romance. Trust us. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is the Bromance Book Club. Oh my but god, I, I love loved it. it. Right? And I just like loved how it was like that whole scene. I loved like a hooked me because it was like okay this premise does seem kind of unreal in our toxic masculinity culture and she's not like showing his like are you guys fucking with me i felt was like actually really important to include because it wasn't like he was like okay because that's not realistic like what dude would get like an intervention with his dude friends and would just be like rolling with the punches if they said the cure for your marriage is reading regency romance right like obviously right. that's not realistic he needs to be convinced that he, they're not just fucking with him and yeah and also the russian just consistently has digestive issues throughout the entire book and it's so stupid but it makes me laugh so hard <laughs> every time where it was like and then the russian farted and we had to leave the room like just like constant things that happened <laughs> that were very funny so i loved it but it kind of makes me sad because i'm like that would never happen <laughs> no exactly and that's what's so what i think is so subversive about her books is that we're constantly told that romance novels are unrealistic and in this case the most unrealistic part about it is that men would be vulnerable with each other while reading romance and like yeah, exactly. what the fuck does that say um mm. which is why i think it's so great that a former professional athlete read the book and decided to do exactly that so it can happen you just got to shed mm. all of your toxic masculinity, my dudes. I think we need to put together like, a, you know, a, a, gift, a gift list, like a recommended gift list at Christmas time to be like, buy this for every man you know and get them to read it and then attach the, a, a novel that you loved. Oh, I think that's such a great idea. I mean, I, in all seriousness, am a big, like I buy my dad a feminist book for Christmas and or his birthday every year. And I follow up to make sure he's read it. And to his credit, he does. Um, but he's 
also admitted that like he would never have read those things if I didn't put them in his hands. But then he does, and he's like, oh, like my dad read Sex Object by Jessica Valenti, and his like mind was Holy blown shit. about street. Oh yeah, like I buy like the fucking hard shit, like le- no holds barred um feminist books. And my dad, who like I said, is like the most heterosexual man you've ever met in your entire life, ex-military, works in IT like super manly dude sat down and read like um jane doe a book about rape read that oh my god what you know what julie (laughs) julie i okay you know when i used to write a lot and i wrote like a fucking book of poetry do you remember that yes of course okay so i rewrote it all into a like journal that i bought for my father for father for his birthday he didn't read it. He never read it and he lost it and he doesn't remember me giving it to him. Ooh, so it's okay hurts. to hate your dad. <laughs> okay. No, a hundred percent. And I do I do recognize that yeah, Father's Day is really complicated for a lot of women for a lot of reasons. Namely that if you had a bad dad and then you have daddy issues, that somehow becomes a stain that you have to wear for the rest of your days. Mm-hmm. So yeah, my dad is a very imperfect person um but to his credit he has been open to learning and when i look at like his oh, feminism journey like when i first started in women's studies and he told me to stop trying to save the world the world doesn't want to be saved and would like challenge me every time i called out sexism and would sort of be like oh you went away to school and now you're like a know-it-all and blah 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 and now is like reading jessica valenti and oh my god books from survivors and is doing the most so don't lose can hope I, can i just like get your dad to email my dad because my last interaction with my dad um uh, was at my brother's wedding mm-hmm. um where my dad when he was leaving was like renee just remember that you're the son i never had and i said it's literally your son's wedding you're being disrespectful gender's a construct and then i was like bye and i had a nap oh. that was the last time I talked to my dad. Oh my. So can you please call your dad? Um <laughs> On everybody, it. my dad works at Price Deck Software in Brockville, Ontario. <laughs> His name is Jeffrey Marshall. You can email him if you want to just send him literature <laughs> and shit. Like, please, please do that. Cause he's a bad man. <laughs> he's <laughs> he needs he needs to join a bromance book club minimum. So badly. <laughs> so badly. Men yeah. intervene. This is a moment where women have tried and they're never going to get through to him. So this is this is a great note for us to end on, actually, truly. It is. Which truly. is like, men need to start calling out other men because women have been trying since the beginning of time to get men to be vulnerable with us, to open up, to like, ex- you know, understand that you can be a tender-hearted person and it does not challenge your masculinity. And men won't listen to us. But when other men call them in and say, bro... Let's hug it out. Let's talk it out. It makes a difference. Oh my God. So look at the fucking science fiction that you read this week, written by a woman. This is what we want. Yes. We just <laughs> we just want this. Just be fucking kind to one another and us. Like for the love of God. For the <gasps> love of God, exactly. Just love yourself enough to open up to aye, other aye, people. Get go mm. to therapy, men folk. Um, that's what I, that's my for Father's Day. Buy your dad a romance novel and or a gift certificate for some therapy. <laughs> yes. Amen. You know what? I'm going to send my dad a copy of the book that you read this week, Julie, for Father's Day. And I'm not going to give any context. I'm just like going to send it. Yeah. That's my promise to women everywhere. Thank and you. Then. Thank you. Yeah. 
So before we head out for this week, you mm-hmm. gotta let people know we have an exciting Ugh. next episode. Yes, this has been in the making for months, and unfortunately was supposed to be on my birthday, but it wasn't. So next week, we have the one, the only, Wit Slurp, author extraordinaire, coming on our show as we do a choose-your-own-adventure written by Wit Slurp. And so if some of you are new, at our Halloween books last year, I read a beautiful story called Abrahannibal Lectern. Mm-hmm. Um Witslurp's books are satirical. They're they're parody erotica stories, and but they're tender and lovely, a lot like Chuck Tingle. But like Witslurp is their own person, like their own writer, totally different. And they also paint all of the of the covers for their stories and do all the handwriting. So little things called Pinocchio and the Wooden Circus Plot. Um, the Sword of Stoma, the Pole Express, a little thing called Are You There, God? I thought I heard Jessica masturbating, but it was just her grandma stirring a pot of shells and cheese. <laughs> Legendary. Legendary. Oh. And I am in love with his books. I'm in love with his stories. And he's going to be on next week. And I'm so excited. So join us because it could not get better than this. That oh. we are peaking. We are going. You thought that my brother coming on and reading an incest story with me was peaking. Uh uh uh. <laughs> this is peaking. We're going to peak next week. We are jumping the shark. I am so excited. Thank you for your perseverance in seeing this through. Thank you to everyone for listening to us week after week and our fucked up shenanigans that we get into and the weird things that we read. Sometimes they're tender, sometimes they're fucked up, but you join us week after week and we're so grateful for that. Oh my god, this I I love doing this and I love that people are getting interactive with us. That it makes everything so fantastic. I spend more time replying to people on Instagram now than I do spending time with my kids. And I couldn't be happier. <laughs> couldn't be happier. Keep those messages coming because I love it. Keep it love coming. It. it was so lovely anyway. to chat with you. Oh my god, likewise. This was a long episode and I'm so glad. I have no regrets. Oh heart. Julie. Name. Julie Lalonde. Yes. Do you want do you want to sing us out? <clears throat> Ravage love, ravage love. Oh, bye. Bye. Artwork for the podcast was created by Karen McKnight. Special thanks to Press Start to Join for production assistance. For gaming and tech news, search Press Start to Join or on social media at PS the number two J show. Connect with us online at Ravage Love on Instagram and by email at ravagelove.podcast at gmail.com. Ravage Love.